G'day and welcome to The Extras. I'm Mike. And I'm Sam. And it's great to have you here on our very last Extras for the year. Yeah, and Santa has stacked our question stocking full today, Mike. <laughs> There's lots of questions in our uh, Santa sack this morning. The gifts that just keep on giving. Yeah, good. But this is our last one for the year and uh, we've had a good time on The Extras and just want to thank you all for listening and uh, particularly thank you for your questions yeah. over the course of this year. Man, I feel like I've learned a lot because I've had to go chase down the scriptures because of what you guys have asked. So thank you for serving me and I hope we've been able to serve you a little bit by trying to point you to some good answers along the way and thanks Sam for coming up with this great idea yeah it's been a lot of fun it's been really really helpful and a great addition to what we're trying to do in terms of making disciples here Um, Sam if uh, we weren't there on Sunday uh, what did we miss of the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount yep the close of the Sermon on the Mount is a a call to response from Jesus and he really asks us are you in or are you out and he gives us four different uh, choices four different images uh, of whether or not you're in or out and uh, that's what he wants to leave us with having laid out for us what life in the kingdom looks like you can't leave it without making a decision and the decisions are you're either in you're with Christ uh, on the narrow road or you're out uh, on the wide road uh, and the difference is life or death uh, eternal life or eternal death and that's where Jesus leads us this is important stuff it is and because it's so important stuff um, we're thrilled that you guys are wrestling with some of the deeper questions Mm. and um, so we're going to attack those now yeah So, first of all, let's turn our attention to verses 13 and 14. Jesus says that uh, there's only a few that are going to find the narrow uh, path. Mm. Yes. um, And the rest are are heading for destruction, which sounds absolutely awful. Now, um, is Jesus kind of resigning us or himself to the fact that the majority of people on planet earth are not going to be saved and and you know if jesus is being kind of pessimistic at this point um what does that mean in terms of us and evangelism and you know do we shut up shop because actually there's only going to be a few and so it doesn't really matter help us wrestle with that sam yeah it's a good question and interestingly um in another part of the bible someone asks jesus exactly that um luke 13 uh, verse 22, 23, um, someone there asks him, Lord, uh, uh, will only a few be saved? That's the question that someone pitches to him. And it's interesting to look at Jesus' answer at that point because in verse 23, or 24, Jesus kind of doesn't answer the question. Instead, he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door mm-hmm. uh, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. And so, that, I mean, the language is, yes, few find it, many won't find it. There's, there's something there. Um, and yet Jesus never quite answers the question, at least in the Gospels. What he does say is, don't worry about the numbers, you enter the narrow door. Make sure you're there. You look after yourself. It's the same thing. They come to him and they, they uh, there's a few times where Jesus tries to answer questions sort of by deflecting it there's the one where they come and they that the tower in Siloam has collapsed and they're like were they worse than everyone else and Jesus goes no wrong question make sure you're right does that make sense yeah and and it, and I think that's where Jesus wants us to think rather than how many will be saved he says make sure make you sure, are sure. okay so I make sure I'm saved yes therefore I don't have to worry about evangelism well <laughs> uh 
No. <laughs> okay. right. You do need to worry about yourself first. And I think yeah. that's an important principle yeah. To, yeah. to put in there, that you are ultimately responsible for the way that you respond yeah. to Jesus. Um, and yet, the other parts of the scripture talk about God is, is so loving. He loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16, that whoever believes in him will yeah. not die but have eternal life. Um, so God has sent Jesus and given the way that all might be saved and there is no one who can't be saved and nothing that they've done that can't be forgiven or saved yeah. um, and, and in fact God says in 1 Peter God is the part of the reason God has waited so long is that he's, he's patient and he doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance so part of the reason world history is still tracking as yeah. it is is so that many can be saved yeah. and that's what God wants so there's actually an, an impetus there for us to go out and preach the gospel because God is still being patient and God loves the whole world so go out and tell them those who, who respond, well, at one level, it's up to God and it's up to them. Um, make sure you're saved and make sure you are preaching the gospel because God is currently being patient so that they can be saved. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but no. to salvation, we want to have the same heart as God. Yep. We want to reflect that. Yep. Um, yeah, okay. That's really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, these pictures, in conclusion, you know... For those who don't choose Jesus, the the destination is bleak. It's Mm. hell. Mm. Um, Now, we had a question which is kind of helpful in terms of how do we approach teaching the topic of hell um, to kids, uh, and particularly kids' ministry, this question? Uh, How do we do that without going far enough that it might be considered by others to be kind of emotional abuse uh, yeah, we need some help in this, Sam. Great, and it's lucky we've got you here, Mike, because yeah. you are responsible for all things children's ministry. So uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to your yeah, answer yeah. on this. <laughs> Look, the, the the loving thing is always to tell the truth, Indeed. but the truth is often hard to tell. Mm. Um, and obviously, when you're teaching or telling anyone about judgment and hell. We need to do that plainly. We don't want to hide the truth, but we need to do it very sensitively and obviously age appropriately. Yeah. Um, interesting that the question asked specifically about kids' ministry. Yeah, we who are involved in kids' ministry um, are trying to partner with parents and we're hoping that parents are teaching their kids about matters of life and death and faith and heaven and hell and judgment and salvation. And we in kids' ministry are trying to supplement that and work alongside parents. And I guess perhaps if us in kids' ministry are not sure, maybe it might be good to actually talk to parents about this. Absolutely. How are they doing it with their kids and how can we support them in that? Yep. But the answer cannot be you don't say anything. Yes. And you hide the truth. That's ultimately loving. Yes. But we do need to speak the truth very sensitively and age-appropriately. That's right. And others will consider any form of negative speak of any kind of judgment or anything even if you don't talk about hell and fire and whatever else um, there'll be a sense that some will consider it child abuse regardless of what you do even talking about spiritual things with child children can be considered child abuse and so we need to you're right we need to do it age appropriately and and well um, and yet we there there will be a point where we will never please everyone and we have to think about what is our faith all about our faith is about life and death it is about eternity the cross is about Jesus taking the punishment of God on him and so if we're willing to teach the cross to our children which I hope we are and I certainly teach that to my children yep. there, come, there is a, an implication of the cross that the cross has 
Jesus died on the cross for a reason, which was that human beings were in danger of God's wrath and Jesus in his love has come to take that on himself. That is the very nature of the, the essence of the, the atonement. Um, and we have to work out how to teach our kids about that. Um, yeah. So we actually wait to understand Jesus, Absolutely. God's love, That's forgiveness right. and grace and the cross That's right. unless we do that within the context. And it's amazing. I mean, I've got two kids. Um, they are very perceptive and they understand discipline. They understand punishment. They understand when you do the wrong thing, there can be consequences. And so you can work with that framework that they have to help them to see that God also has uh, consequences and there's also punishment. And mm. kids are pretty, like, they, they get it and they can get it in an age-appropriate way. It's probably adults that make a bigger thing of this in terms Often. of kids than the kids themselves. Sometimes. But that, that is the world we live in. Okay. Um, on the topic of hell, let's mm. continue. Um, it is a hot topic. <laughs> Thank you. Michael, uh, Michael your <laughs> idea. Yeah. Um, how can people in hell be in torment if they are dead slash destroyed as the Sermon of the Mount? says. Mm. Uh, the language of worms and fire from Isaiah 66 uh, where it depicts dead corpses. Isn't it reasonable to conclude the unsaved are killed and done away with in hell? Yeah. So uh, this is picking up on, uh, on a theological position that we refer to as annihilationism. Uh, that is that um, those who are not in Christ after their their judgment from God are annihilated and that's the end of their existence and that is their punishment to, to cease to exist yeah. um, and at one level uh, there are images like the one in, in here in, in Matthew 7 of, of destruction and sometimes hell is, is pictured in that regard and I, I can see that some of the language that, that might point you towards that position however um, I'm not sure it makes the, the, the best sense of all the biblical evidence regarding hell uh, hell one of the things about heaven and hell is that he heaven is so wonderful and so glorious and so good that we lack the language to speak about it and so the scriptures need to use images mm. to try and help you to understand just how good it is. Paradise, you know, glory mm. and joy. We've got a lot of that in Revelation, didn't Revelation, we? absolutely. This city filled with jewels and wonder and all that kind of stuff. But we don't quite have the language to, to, to say just how good it is because it's, it's eternal perfection. Um, likewise, we don't have the language to properly explain just how awful and how serious the torment in hell would be. And so similarly, Jesus turns to, to picture language there, things mm. like worms and fire and um, destruction, to, yeah. to help us paint a picture of it. And, yeah. and part of our job as good readers of the New Testament and the whole Bible for that matter, mm. is to, to make sense of those images in concert with each other. Yeah. And I think that there are a couple of images let me share with you that I think point to point you away from that. Um, well, firstly, I think John 5.29 talks about the resurrection. And, and in 5.29 it talks about all the dead, whether they're in Christ or not, will be raised. Those who've done good things to eternal life, those who have done wicked things to eternal judgment. And that's an image there that Jesus raises of a of an ongoing judgment um, and God actually raises the dead mm. to judge them mm. so they they are raised just like we will be but to something else not to heaven everyone's raised back to life everyone was raised back to life not, what happens next? not destroyed yeah. then you get uh, interesting when Jesus talks about fire and worms and all those kinds of things he doesn't just talk about a fire or a worm but he'll often talk about a worm that 
does not die and a fire that is not quenched. Mm. If you burn a body here on earth, eventually there's nothing left and the fire goes out. Mm. Um, in Jesus' language, the fire is not consumed. Or the, and, and the worm here again on earth will eat the body and then it'll be done and have to go somewhere else. But in Jesus' language, the, the worm never is quenched. It, it just keeps on eating and eating and eating. Uh, it's, it's ongoing torment. And, and probably the, the most helpful one is to go and think about the story of, of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, I can't, I've uh, got the, Luke, Luke 16? Yeah, Luke 16, somewhere there. I haven't got the chapter in my head at the moment. Yeah. But the, 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 the story goes that uh, Laz- the, the rich man ends up in hell and he's communicating with Father Abraham. And, and interestingly, he to- he's talking and he's conscious and he's communicating. And what he communicates is that he's in so much torment that he just wants a drop of water from Lazarus just to soothe the tip of his tongue. And the, Father Abraham says that's impossible because there's this great chasm set between us. And then what um, the rich man says is, well, please send Lazarus to tell my brothers and sisters, or my brothers, five brothers, I think, um, so that they won't come to this place. So it seems that the, the, the conscious soul in torment in hell is crying out for world mission. And it's interesting... The person in hell gets what's at stake. We we often don't, <laughs> and we don't yeah. go and do evangelism. We don't go and do mission because we think, oh, it doesn't matter that much. The, mm. the conscious person in hell knows just what's at stake, and they are crying out saying, please send someone to my family so that they won't come here too. Yeah. So I don't think the, the notion of annihilationism quite lines up with the, the biblical evidence. So we need to keep reading Scripture in light of Scripture. And, and I mean, this question did that, didn't they? they were yes, to they're trying to go back to Isaiah 66, 66, and it's fantastic. So that's terrific. See the whole the whole corpus of Scripture, I think. Yeah, try and get the, the images to match up as much as we can. Correct. Now, Sam, you, you uh, gave us a really helpful uh, image yourself from Sunday night. Um, Jesus warning us about hell is a loving thing. Mm. In a similar way, or analogous to the fact that life, surf lifesavers often give us warnings about where it's safe to swim and where it's not safe to swim. Yeah. Now the question comes uh, very graciously saying I know no illustration is perfect and that's right. Yep. Uh, but I guess the difference is that the lifesaver has no control over the surf conditions. Yeah. But Jesus has control as judge and as God and as God's son. Um, Jesus has agency in judgment. Mm. The surf lifesaver does not. So mm. give us some thoughts of clarity. Yeah, so I guess the, the question is, therefore, couldn't Jesus just deal with the problem himself, get, get rid of the judgment? Um, interesting, that's exactly what he does in the cross. But uh, <laughs> he could just remove judgment and there'd be no problem to warn about, unlike the surf lifesaver who can't calm the seas, can't control the sharks, um, yeah. and just has to warn because there's a, a, an external threat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the problem would be if Jesus were just to switch off judgment as as God, which I take it he is, um, there's something quite significant lost there from the character of God, which is the justice of God. If God just removes that and says, well, I won't punish sin, what you have therefore is an unjust world and an unjust universe where those who do wrong will ultimately get away with it. And uh, that becomes a, a world that, we don't want to live in. Um, our, our whole world depends on the premise of justice that, that even if they don't get it in this life, those who do wrong and those who do wicked will ultimately be punished by God. And so we, we, we must cling on to the justice of God and say, no, that is a good and right part of God's character. Um, but then here's where the, the, the love and the mercy of God comes shining so clearly that actually that justice should come to me because I'm as much responsible for the 
the wickedness in the world because I'm wicked. I do wicked things. Um, but God has made a way that I don't have to deal with the justice uh, with, with justice in that he provides mercy and forgiveness by sending Jesus to take the punishment on himself um, and so come into Christ and find the forgiveness that he offers um, but don't wish that God is would be not just uh, mm. for that uh, is a terrifying thought that the world is without justice nice thank you and thanks for the question uh, the next chunk of the, the summary of the Sermon on the Mount um, talks about uh, fruit bearers, yes. uh, false teachers who will bear a certain type of fruit, and yes. uh, by their fruit you will recognize them. Yes. And um, you helpfully pushed us hard in terms of who we look up to as teachers, and even looking at our own lives, yes. you know, are we seeing the fruit? So here's some questions that flow from that. Yes. Uh, as Christians, we're expected to bear good fruit, but we don't always do it. That's true. Uh, does this mean that we will be cut down like trees that don't bear good fruit? Mm. Look, I love that the question is taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, and interesting, I mean, here Jesus is talking about teachers. I think that's the, the particular context. Although he uses a similar image in John 15 when he talks about being the vine. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, and he does say there that any branch that doesn't bear fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. Very similar image there. Absolutely. Um, and I take it, I mean, this kind of flows into one of the things that I was trying to communicate on Sunday night, is that the fruit flows out of your connection to Jesus. Once you have faith, once you are a Christian, that's all by grace, but it by definition results in fruit. Mm. That's part of being a Christian. You, you save by grace, but once you're saved by grace, works start to flow. Yes. That's pattern of biblical teaching um, works don't make you saved but they do show that you are saved yes, um, yes and and i take it if there is no fruit and that's what jesus is talking about in, in john 15 a yep. branch that doesn't bear yeah, any fruit, fruit yeah um that branch gets cut it, it's not actually part of the vine it might think it is but it's not um and so if there's no fruit well yeah i, I would be a little bit worried um and i guess what we're looking for here is is there some fruit and in fact is there is there a pattern of, of growth and change and um and i think even if there's things in your life that you're thinking oh i really wish that would go that the fact that you are sitting there saying i wish i could change that uh-huh. is an evidence it's of fruit, fruit. Uh, yeah. that you want to change because you understand what's at stake and so it's a sign of life it's a heartbeat it's a good thing yep. um and so that, that i think but if there's no change and the person who's saying I don't really care about the sin in my life. I'm not even struggling about it at all. If they've given up the fight, well, then I think that's the that's the point to be worried. So the tender conscious the conscience that says, "Yes, there's sin, and I want it to go," that that is evidence that there's fruit in there for me. And the wisdom of John 15 is, particularly if you're someone who's struggling to see any fruit in your life, Jesus says, "Will remain in me and my word." Mm. And so perhaps just go back to Jesus, Absolutely. <laughs> um, and just kind of fall in love with him again trust in him again that's right go back to his word and immerse yourself in that and see if the fruit will flow from there but uh, yeah it's tricky and some people do have more kind of sensitive conscience on this don't they Sam some of us are harder um, uh, critiquers of ourselves than perhaps we could be should be and so, I guess if you are struggling, it, it might also be helpful just to talk to someone else who knows you well in the mm. faith and kind of say, well, I'm struggling to see fruit. Mm. Is there any fruit? Yep. Have you seen any, you know, if, if you just can't see it, maybe others can see it in you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I often say to this point is, is that particularly if you are hard on yourself and you, you, you often see your own faults, um, 
I think a really helpful discipline is to journal your prayers because often what you're praying about shows what you're wrestling with at any one moment. If you can then go back and see what you were praying about this time last year and see what sins you were wrestling against, Mm. it is a remarkably encouraging thing often to, to go, wow, that was, that was a really... And I'd f- totally forgot about that. But look at the way that God has changed me and look at the way that I've grown in that area. Yes, I'm not a finished piece yet and God is still at work in me and there's more to be done. Yeah. But look at the progress. And But sometimes we can't see the progress because we just forget and it doesn't feel like it's urgent anymore so we've forgotten about it. Absolutely. It, God, but God has, has worked in us and there is fruit. We yeah. just sometimes we, we forget to see it. And so I think practically speaking, some way of journaling, some way of keeping keeping record of, of, of how, how you're tracking as a Christian um, can be a very helpful discipline. Nice, nice. Okay, uh, fruit again. Uh, if we are known by our faith in Jesus, sorry, if we are known for our faith in Jesus by our good fruit, are we therefore to use our works to prove our faith? And if that's true, well, then that sounds a little bit like some Catholic theology. So is there a distinction I think it's biblical to say that works show faith. That seems to be that the works aren't in place of faith. Works don't give you salvation, but they do reveal faith. James seems to suggest that. How do you see if someone has faith? You see it in their works. The faith itself is what saves, but the works are what show the faith. Mm -hmm. I think that seems to be... Um, And so perhaps a difference... now. Very hard because Catholic teaching is broad, um, <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. So it's, it's, I don't want to simplify or oversimplify, uh, but there is some Catholic teaching which would say something quite different, which would be to say that actually there are some works that you need to do in order to be saved, um, right. uh, whether they might be um, penance or uh, certain types of uh, religious activity. Mm. Um, do this and then you'll be forgiven okay. um, that is not the Protestant teaching or I, I would argue that's not the biblical teaching yes. the biblical teaching is you be saved as you just trust in Jesus but trusting in Jesus will by definition result in works and so if you're looking to see whether or not you'll be saved look for fruit but it's not the fruit that saves the fruit is an indicator that you are saved so <clears throat> A little summary that the reformers, you know, help us with. Yes. Uh, that we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Yeah. There will always be fruit works. Very helpful. But that's slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, turning our attention to other people, if you like, in terms of fruitfulness. Uh, often we see people who do lots of things and seem to have the character of a Christian. Yep. But how can you tell if their faith is actually true or yeah. real? Yeah. Look, uh, we, we talked about something similar when we were talking about judging last week or the week before. Ultimately, I don't think you can, you can ultimately know. Because we're not God. We're not God. God knows. And yet... Jesus does say you'll tell them by their fruit when he's talking about false teachers. And I, and I think it's true that uh, it, it inevitably comes out mm. um, that, that someone who is a false prophet, a false teacher, not, uh, yeah, not, not teaching the truth, it, it'll, it, you'll see it in their lives somehow. Um, and, and tragically, there are too many instances of this where um, 
yeah, someone has been, you know, in church leadership, teaching some kind of role there, um, and inevitably their life betrays them and the fact that they're, they're not teaching the truth. Um, and that's a, that's a tragedy, but it does show the importance of, of, uh, of looking, for, looking for fruit. And, and I think one thing to remember is that ultimately Jesus is the one, he's the teacher that we're looking to follow. He's the chief shepherd, says 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, his life was perfect. And uh, you want a teacher to stick with and uh, to, to whose fruit demonstrates how worthwhile they are to trust. Stick with Jesus and you'll never go wrong. Amen. Amen. Uh, moving to the third kind of conclusion picture summary, you yep. know, choice, if you like. Yep. Uh, so verses 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father is who enters. So yeah. the call to obedience to God here. Yep. So the question comes, if we are called to obey God and cannot enter the kingdom without obeying him, what hope is there for us? Because, well, we keep sitting. Help, mm. help, Sam. Yeah. Uh, look, this is a great question. Um, partly because it gives me an opportunity to, to just teach you the gospel again. Um, <laughs> but it's a good question because it actually is going to zoom us out to remember what the big thrust of the Sermon on the Mount yeah. has been. Yeah. And the big sermon, the big thrust is that there's this, there's this constant tension running through the Sermon on the Mount where God calls you to perfection, which you can't deliver, which drives you back to the very first beatitude, which is come with an empty hand, as poor in spirit, with nothing to offer, and you will receive the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 3. Um, mourn your sin and uh, repent, <laughs> and God graciously treats you like you don't deserve. So there's the hope that you can come because of the work of Jesus. Um, he has come, and we're about to celebrate at Christmas time, but... Um, Matthew one twenty one. He has come to be the, the, to save us from our sins. That's what he's come to do, and uh, that's that's Matthew's gospel. That's um, so. The hope is Jesus, really. So yep. Turn to him. Yep. Um, and yet, the, what the Sermon on the Mount goes on to, to pick up, and if you can re- rewind your brain back to those early chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five in particular, is there seems to be this claim from Jesus that as he arrives on the scene in salvation history. All that was promised beforehand now comes to light. And he, he took, we, we, a couple of weeks ago, went back to look at the promises of Ezekiel 36 and of Jeremiah 31, which where the prophets had the law of God, but they couldn't keep it. And they were looking forward to a day when God would fill them with a new heart and a new spirit where that they would not only have the law of God, but they would want to do it. Mm. And uh, that was always the, the, the age of the spirit they were looking forward to. And, and I take it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is announcing, big picture, the age of the Spirit has come. So those who come to Jesus as poor in spirit, with nothing in their hands, completely dependent on his grace, Jesus says, you are forgiven, you can have eternal life, you can be in the kingdom of heaven, and now I'm going to put my Holy Spirit into you, and I'm going to renew you from the inside out. And that is something that then God works in us through our whole Christian life, that we little by little are transformed into his likeness uh, from one degree of glory to the next is the way Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthians uh, until that final day when we will be ultimately perfectly transformed in heaven and uh, all our sinful nature and all of our uh, desires for wrongdoing will be done away with and uh, and that's our hope it's the work of God in us both to forgive us when we become a Christian and to change us by his Holy Spirit that he then gives to us where's the hope? It's not in me and my ability to just do better and work harder it's it's in 
uh, it's in the work of God to forgive me and to renew me by the work of his promised Holy Spirit who now lives in me and changes me and that's our hope that's a great hope hope is in God not in me yep so keep obeying God yeah be hopeful be be uh, uh, you know trusting him that he can do it yeah and keep putting sin to death amen um, in, in the light of that hope yeah now verse 22 uh, many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons perform miracles I mean they sound like pretty cool Christian people who are doing pretty amazing things if my Christian life measured up to that I'd be kind of happy at one level yes but they don't get in and so well how do I have assurance of salvation? My Christian life doesn't seem to stack up to that. Yeah. They don't get in. I'm not sure if I'm saved anymore, Sam. Uh, Help. Yeah. Uh, the hope is in God, not in you. Um, this takes us back, though, to the to the faith alone thing. Um, and I think this is what Jesus is, is touching on again here, which is that faith, faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. And what Jesus um, remarks about these people who he doesn't let in in verse 21 is he says not everyone who says Lord Lord will enter the kingdom but only the one who does the will of my father mm. and, and, uh, and I take it the the evidence of faith that Jesus is looking for is that has that faith alone that saves you has it uh, made itself known has it appeared in good works in doing the will of the father uh, which is the way that I mean, it's the same language in the in the prayer in Matthew chapter six that your will be done. It's that yes. doing what God wants to be done. Um, are you living out the Sermon on the Mount? Um, which, which may not be these kind of spectacular prophecies and driving exorcisms. No, and it won't be spiritual uh, kind of experience or spiritual victory or that kind. It's obedience. Yeah, and and so Jesus is saying, your faith should manifest itself in obedience because that's what faith does and yeah. and if you are claiming a faith yet there's no obedience Jesus is saying it's a good chance there's no faith and yeah. so uh, obedience at that point becomes a little litmus test as to whether my faith is real and again it takes you back to the is there is there some fruit is with the John 15 stuff so just rewind the podcast kind of four or five minutes and <laughs> hear that answer again and I think it's the similar answer here yep so as we kind of, you know, go back over the Sermon on the Mount and we see all the things that Jesus is calling us to do, to, to love others and to yep. do unto others yep. and, and to um, practice your righteousness in pub, in private, private, not in public, yep. to love your enemies, all those, they're yep. the things that God's really saying, this Absolutely. is my will, yep. these are the things I'm looking for. It may That's not be right. the spectacular, dramatic, right. spiritual, but this is what we want you to do. Faithful obedience is where, what God is looking for. Terrific. Guys, that's it for your questions for this week. Sam, yeah. we want to thank you heaps for taking us through the Sermon on the Mount. And Pleasure. I know it's you've, been great. you've been wrestling with it in your own life, which is great. I have been, but I've been blessed by it massively, and I'm thankful yeah. for the opportunity to, to do the work. So thanks for freeing me up to do this work amongst you guys. I, I yeah. appreciate the privilege. And being the last one for the year, uh, yeah. we want to say Merry Christmas to you all. Yes. And hope you get a great time over Christmas to reflect on just how good God is yes. and uh, how good he's been to us. Um, in Christ but also in general we want you to keep praying for the, the building uh, we can hear all the rumblings going on in the background I hope you can't hear those in the podcast but things are still progressing keep praying for that 
Yeah. And uh, keep praying that God will keep building His church uh, next year. Is proves to be an exciting year. We're, we're looking forward to that. Indeed. And we're loving partnering with you in that. And um, yeah, I'd love you to join with us in prayer that God will just keep growing His church. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back with the extras next year. And uh, looking forward to more questions, more um, engagement with you guys, and just wrestling with God's word together. Really looking forward to it. Terrific. See All you right. guys. God bless. See you later.